When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, you guys? You guys are going to love this particular episode. I'm interviewing Kevin and Stacy Billingsley of Singapore. Uh, Kevin and Stacy are both really good friends of my family. Uh, I've personally known Stacy since college. She was a theater major. Sub- subsequently got her master's of uh, fine arts degree uh, from the University of Montana in Missoula. And there she connected with Kevin Billingsley in 2006, we, my wife and I stayed with Kevin and Stacy, and they had mentioned the possibility of traveling abroad. And since that time, they've uh, moved from Missoula, and they've gone on this incredible journey uh, to various international locations, including Mexico, um, Bangladesh, and they've recently landed in Singapore. So I thought it'd be a good opportunity to explore with them this huge transition they made. You know, in our previous episode, we had talked with Jason Zaborski, who went from the practice of law to running his uh, outfitting business. And Kevin and Stacy, you're going to love this episode because you really see that how do we sort of combine our ideals with what we actually want to do in life and all, but, but at the same time be practical. So they're not, they just didn't go out and just travel all over the place. Well, they've done that, but they've done that through their vocation, through their calling. And I thought it'd be a good opportunity to sort of talk to these two really dynamic people and cover a lot of topics, the thought process when they transitioned from Montana, some of their internal pushback that they got, some of the difficulties they had when they got to the new place, um, how they managed it as a couple. So there's a lot of different topics we explored. We even got to explore a little bit of stoicism. Uh, so you're going to love this episode, and uh, make sure you give me feedback. I'm going to try to put the show notes on this for rockneycole.com, and afterwards um, we'll have a little uh, note about what's up next for our our show. So stay tuned and really I hope you guys enjoy uh, this episode of the Rockney cast, the Billingsley, the Billingsleys in Singapore. Stacy and Kevin, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. Very great good. Day. Thank you. <laughs> um, we're here with the Rockney cast and we're here with Kevin and Stacy Billingsley. Um, Stacy and Kevin are really good friends of my wife Mara and mine. And the last time I think we saw each other as a couple was 2006 in Missoula, Montana, and we had a blast. You guys remember that? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Absolutely. You yeah. went on the river. It's... What was that? I said we went on the river and. Uh... Yeah, we showed you yes. the best that Missoula can be. <laughs> and we met we met some famous people. I think we met Hamish Linkletter and yeah. various different people, and Jeff Peepos, who are still friends on Facebook. So that I saw that. That's memorable. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and we're still friends on Facebook and all that sort of thing. So, and I remember when we were there in 2006, I think you had mentioned at the time, Stacy, that you were sort of already thinking about possibly international travel at some distant point in the future. Am I getting that correctly? Yeah, I think, Kevin, um, uh, I was just had Phoebe. So Phoebe was about a year old, a little over a year. And um I, I had been teaching and traveled in college and Kevin was building quite a bit. And we'd always talked about 
when we get some time, let's take a couple months and go live someplace abroad because I really wanted to get overseas again. So that kind of was like, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. We're going to do that. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people, I think what makes your guys' story so interesting is that um, hopefully the audience is able to hear the, the birds where you're at right now. You guys are currently in Singapore. Is that correct? Um, yep. Just describe for the audience what you guys are seeing right now. And, and where are you in Singapore? <laughs> we, may ahead, feel, we may feel a little guilty describing it just because we are oh, definitely... Describe it. Yeah, uh, I just I, I warn you about the hate mail you may receive, but we are yeah. right across. We are surrounded by tropical flowers. We're looking at a, a, a swimming pool. We're in a just in the fringe of a tropical rainforest right across from a Bucatima Nature Reserve, which has a more species of trees than North America in the entire wow. North America. Yeah. And um, lots of lots of birds. It's absolutely beautiful. And, and it's just as beautiful as you thought it would be when you came there. And I, Rockney Cole, am sitting in a Toyota Matrix and it's zero degrees out and I'm surrounded by snow. So there is yeah. some anger there. Yeah, the we are going to predict our high, our high of today is going to be 86 eight. degrees, 88. Oh yeah. Yesterday it was 86. It's difficult because every day is exactly um, perfect. And then you might get rain, and it kind of feels like a season just occurred oh, in a day. Yeah. It's really exciting. No, I love it. And so what I love, what so so you guys, though, you had this sort of genesis of an idea um, to do something different. And I think that's a very natural human emotion, uh, especially when you're in, you know, as you enter middle age, and you think about, is this what I really want to be doing? And I think what makes your guys' story so interesting is that, Going back to that time period in Missoula, take the audience back. Um, you guys were already living a pretty interesting life. Theater, Stacy, you were involved in like theater scene and you did some teaching at the University of Montana is my understanding. And Kevin, you were doing sort of construction type work. Am I getting that right in terms of where you guys were before you started to make this big leap um, you know, to possible international education? Uh, well, we, I was working, I was, I had a building company and also we were both guiding a bit on the side for um, Lewis and Clark Trail Adventures as a pitch. Um, I was momming a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Stace was momming the I, children and myself. Yeah, I was kind of re-examining my new role as um, a mom and as Stacy, <laughs> you know, like yeah. what does that look like? Yeah, exactly. And so you sort of had this genesis. And as I said, a lot of people have this sense of, yeah, I want to do something different in my life. But you guys actually did it. Well, we, so, Stacy, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, we usually think about, I mean, it is human nature all day, every day to think about what you want to be doing other than what you're doing at any one moment during your day. Like, oh, I yeah. hate my job. Oh, my marriage. Oh, this, all that, all the food I'm yes. eating. So we all yes. today are rethinking this every day. And I think we just got to the point where things built up stress-wise enough. You know, we are living in a paradise town because we think Missoula is that. Yes. But, but we're stressed out in paradise. And that is a contradiction we could not handle. So we thought we might as well be stressed out somewhere else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. No, and so you're getting exactly, I think, that like, what I really want to focus on is that then you took control and you, you didn't just sort of lament that because I think a lot of people end up, you know, they, they don't actually make that next step to actually then say, no, we are going to move in a different direction. So 
either one of you sort of take me back to that moment where you're like, you know what, we're actually going to do it and describe for the audience how that actually occurred. Because your first step was not Singapore. It was Mexico is my understanding. Yeah. I think at the time when we made the major decision, we knew that if we were, we knew that we had to make a change in our life and especially in our relationship, um, we had navigated through a number of different, um, you know, obstacles and, decided that we needed a massive change. And so the one way that we saw that we could do that change was through education and through teaching. Um, I had a really good friend who had taught internationally and she kind of guided me and kind of gave me that insight um, as to, you know, you should do it, you should do it, like really encouraged uh, me. And we knew that I was the one that was gonna have to be able to get the job that was Kevin didn't have a teaching degree at the time. And so um, we started pursuing that. And, you know, it wasn't really real until I went to a fair and landed a job in Mexico. And then we had to make like that major decision. I remember you guys were skiing at Discovery and I was in San Francisco and I made the call and I was like, oh my God, I got a job. And so that was kind of a big thing, but a lot of um, a lot of obstacles that I think a lot of people go through, especially after having kids and being married and just kind of going, what is my life looking at, you know, led up to the decision to like really jump in and go. Yeah, no, totally. And I, and, and I also think too, there's so much pressure as we become grown ups to get more and more conventional. And it seems like there's really <laughs> sort of two paths that people take. Either one, they become more and more of a grown up and they suppress more and more of what they felt as a child and their sense of wonder, or they reveal more and more of who they actually are and say, you know what? Um, there's only one life. we got to live it right now. How much pushback did you guys get from either friends or family to say, look, are you really sure you want to give up all that you have here in paradise? Because it is, it's river runs through it. It's Montana. It's exotic. You did have a really cool, you know, group of friends there in Missoula. How much pushback did you get in terms of, are you really sure that you want to move through, move forward to this and, uh, you know, basically follow your dreams? Well, it's probably that analogy where all your friends are, you do it first but then when you do it, then they're like, I'm still afraid to do it. Can you just come back, please? <laughs> so yeah. I think we so I think we experienced a little bit of that. We definitely did not choose like we it's not like we just moved to a different city or a different state. We moved to Mexico, which um, in some circles of American thought, Mexico is run by the cartels and is incredibly dangerous, even though those same people go vacation at the resorts. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, so we we definitely immersed in Guadalajara, Mexico, which is kind of like a version of Missoula, Montana, and that's very festive, a beautiful place to live, very outdoor oriented, very family oriented. Um, so it was an easy, kind of almost a lateral transition in some ways to go to Mexico, um, just because that was still on people's radars and. I think it was the next step when we went to Dhaka, Bangladesh, which yeah. completely re redefined it because Dhaka is the most densely populated city in the world. It's one of the most polluted cities in the world. And it was definitely not, um, in many people's thoughts, a safe place to go or a wise choice. But it was really yeah. a necessary step in our our development 
as human beings for sure. Like, I, I, I love that because, you know, and I also think too, and I don't know how you guys feel about this. Anytime you make a change, there is risk in the path that you pursue. But one of the things I felt just sort of as a, as a middle-aged person and sort of thinking about transitions is that there's also risks of the status quo. I mean, there's risks of working in office space with Lundberg. You know, we're not designed for that. We're not designed to live in, you know, and then lament what happened at the end of our lives. And um, Stacey, I don't know if you followed in terms of all my love of stoicism right now, but one of the concepts I love from that, that philosophy is this phrase, memento mori, which means remember death. Yeah. And you would think that that would make us really depressed but for me, it makes me exuberantly happy because I'm like, you do remember your death and you do remember that you only have so much time. And I think of like you guys, you guys are going for it. You really did make those steps. And so I'd also think about when you actually then got to Mexico, did you experience almost a giddiness that like we did it? You know, we, uh, <laughs> or was there a little bit of a, was there a hangover? Uh, so once you got, there. Uh, you know, we were there for five years, and um, initially, I think, as I said, like the first couple of years, uh, Kevin had to go back and forth, and so it was um, like still dealing with business, and then re-examining, like, how do I? I mean, he made a major life change with like job-wise. You know, he went from building to education which I always yeah. said, you'd be the best educator. You're such a great teacher. You should be a teacher. Um, and so, and he is, and I love watching him teach today. Um, but I think when we first arrived, we had a, I had a, a five and a seven-year-old and Phoebe had been going to Spanish immersion school since she was three. And that's where we're, I was working before we left for um, Mexico, which is one of the, the reasons why we wanted our kids to have more of an authentic experience. We wanted them to be bilingual. We knew we wanted them to speak more than one language. Um, and Spanish is such an important language for, I think people living in the U.S. to be able to use and communicate. And so um, when we got there, it was exciting and new and refreshing. And then the honeymoon kind of passed. And then the realities of everyday life kind of struggled in, except for I couldn't understand it very well because I didn't speak the language fluently. And so I'm looking for my seven, eight-year-old daughter to be able to translate um, you know, about mechanics or about housing, you know, medical terms, you know, and Phoebe was, is just an incredible kid and, and human. And so she was able to really support us in so many aspects. And then when Heath matured as well, his ability to, you know, entertain and engage and communicate also assisted our, our, our experiences as well. Um, but the community we stepped into at the, the school we were teaching at was by far the most supportive inning. I think that the core of what our experience was because we were part of this family and it was such yeah. an incredible group of people. Um, it changed from year to year as people come and go and make different decisions in their lives. Um, but it's still, there was this foundation that was so strong and so um, supportive to us and to the community. So that was huge for us and that and the giddiness did last it was I, I love mexico when i think about going back and seeing my friends and being in guadalajara my heart just races in this joyous um ex, you know excitement because it is it is a place i call home you know I'm, i miss it a lot but i'm really happy were, were there any moments <laughs> did, did you have any moments where you were like oh my god what did we do where where did you go missoula were there any moments where you're like, oh, maybe we made a mistake, you know, where you're like, oh, 
I'm sure you maybe had one or two. Of oh, them. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty easy to turn on the news, though, and be like, I sure am glad that I'm not there. <laughs> I think to me with our very functional political system that we have yeah we states? fortunately fortunately to? we get the united states is no longer like on our front door and so we use it as case studies i think and i definitely because i teach um individuals and in societies like humanities so i mean the case, america is a case study for me and i get to have this new perspective lens of you know which really makes it meaningful not I'm selfishly teaching because it's really just me actually weighing this 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 debate in my mind every class period. Yeah, it's yeah really exactly. And we can actually see. And I remember my first experience when I, when I went abroad. I went to Costa Rica oh, yeah. and I spent some time in Ecuador. Nice. And when I came back to the United States, it was really the first time that I had reverse culture shock. And I don't know how much you guys have been able to come back to the States since you've been abroad, but there really is an intensity and a toxicity to the American experience that I think as Americans, we're just so used to. It's sort of like living in a dysfunctional family that not everyone else in the world is like this. Did you guys experience any of that when you came then back to the United States to visit? Did, do you get a sense of like, gosh, this culture, as much as we love the United States, that, that gosh, there really are sort of the elements of toxicity that we can now see clearly living outside the United States? I would say yes. But I think for me, I think that it, it just it presents itself that there's so much we're exposed to so many things, um, a broader spectrum of global issues. I think when you're living outside the U.S., when you're inside, you're just it's insular and especially just your daily existence in some respects, like, oh, I'm going here, here's my routine. And when you get outside of that, you really see the impact of um, the, the world's actions and especially the United States. And so you have a much broader perspective on it. So it was a little bit of shock. Prices were shocking. <laughs> um, uh, distance, I think, uh, how, how far we had to go to get things. I mean, living in a dense city, it's a, it's much easier just to go out your front door and walk around the corner to the shop and get those, you know, have those things brought to you. And um, I don't know, Kev, what do you think? Yeah, I think we just, we definitely went through a bit of culture shock. I think that um, living in third world countries like this, you realize how appreciative everyone is for the job they have. Yeah. Like in Bangladesh, we had a driver, we had a maid, we had a dog walker, we had a guard. You know, all these people every day said, you know, literally, thank you for the job. Yeah. And any hour of the night, commerce, you call up at 2 a.m. and you say, I want a shirt ironed. Someone will come to your door and iron your shirt and uh, and say thank you. Wow. Yeah. And, and and you appreciate them equally. And so that just that the, the commerce, there's not an entitlement to, to your livelihood. Instead, everyone is collaboratively doing everything they can. Well, you know, one of the things that um, I've been getting into a lot of like dieting stuff and I've been getting into like paleo and I've been doing a lot of fasting. And the reason why I bring this up is that it's amazing how much we're learning from these really traditional cultures yeah. and um, and even like cavemen. And I'm like, for crying out loud, these like advanced <clears throat> nutritionists are trying to figure out what they were eating like 30,000 years ago with all the technology that we have. And I think of like what we think is practical in the United States is really relatively recent. We've become so untethered from our culture 
Um, yeah, I don't know if there are sort of wisdom like in Bangladesh, like things that you learned about traditional culture that you that you've learned from that are different from your experience in the United States. You know, the biggest thing, Rafi, I can really I can I can um, I think for us is about family. And I, I being abroad, we made a choice to not be close every day to our, our, our family in the U.S., but in our immediate family with our Kevin, myself and our kids. Um, that's the thing that I learned in Mexico. That's the thing. I mean, I, I learned in Bangladesh is that you spend a lot of time with your family. We spend a lot of time with our kids and I feel like our kids are our friends and they like us. They like being around us for the most part. And we like being around them. And so I think that bond has been really, it kind of forced us because of our travels, but I see that in the cultures we go to is just that, that everything stops when it comes to family. It doesn't yeah. matter about your busy schedule and people don't have the crazy busy schedules. I mean, you still have things to do, but it's not running, 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 chauffeuring, chauffeuring, chauffeuring kids from this to that, to that, you know? And so um, it's more tranquilo, you know, you were in Costa Rica, pura vida, you know, like that's kind of the, the energy that we still are trying to bring into our lives on a, on a daily basis. And it's definitely come in over the past eight years now, you know, much more so than it was when we were living in the States. Definitely the more that you're in a traditional culture, whether we were with the Bedouins, the Nubians, the, the Bangladeshis, the Indians, like all yeah. the, the family comes first before everything. Mm -hmm. Like their first money that they, their first check, they send home to their parents. Yeah. And that's a complete switch from the United States where it does not occur that way. And Americans seem to have a tendency to move as far away from family as soon as they get out of college. And maybe this pandemic has, yeah. you know, has created a new shift in that where <laughs> I'm struggling and I'm going to move home and take care of my family. Yeah. Which is totally normal. Like when I was in Ecuador, if you didn't live with your parents, I mean, everyone lived mm -hmm. with their parents, at least through marriage and sometimes after marriage. And I'm sure there was sort of an economics aspect to that, too. But that was just completely normal in these really warm, extended familial bonds. And the United States, if you live at home, it, it, it's just it's almost culturally taboo. And it's and, and I think of so many things that we've that we think of as normal in the United States are relatively recent. They're, they're of relatively recent origin. Um, and you really only see that really clearly. But I want to go up one, to back up to one thing. Did you say that you spent some time? With <laughs> <laughs> we did. Oh. I didn't know that because I was thinking, so I got to know, so I was thinking Mexico to Bangladesh. Egypt. No, on the Tell me about yeah, the, on the Sinai Peninsula with the Bedouins. Yeah, we left our month. son. We left our son with a, the, the Bedouins <laughs> while we went out uh, scuba diving. <laughs> no, no, we lived in the desert with them for a while. It was really fantastic. For oh, how long? Just a week. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. really cool. And so, did you eat like their diet? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What, what what did you eat? Like, did you eat meat? Did you eat veggies? Like, I, I just want to just briefly describe that. Experience. Yeah, it, it it involved the camel. Yeah, we had, we had to take a camel to get to our like our, our the town that we were going to stay at and we were going to scuba dive out of. We spent Christmas there, and had um you know we slept on 
pads on the camel blankets camel blankets and we were in a little hut right and um it wasn't like you think resort it wasn't you know, it wasn't resort and the standards of like what i think people from the u.s are considering um somebody made our food for us but it was like in the family compound you know kind of we all ate together yeah, a lot of desert plants we, we ate a lot from a lot of the desert plants a lot of lamb or goat they all it, yeah. when they say uh mutton it always means goat yeah what else did we, we ate so a lot, lot of, of goat a lot of what else? Do we, I can't remember. A lot with a yogurts with oh, a yeah. camel's milk. Yeah. Yeah, it was really. We grilled the, the chicken. They remember they barbecued. They dug into a lot the, of chicken. They dug yeah. into the ground and they put a bunch of coals in the ground and they cooked the bread under the, the, under the, the ground. ground. That was really cool. I mean, it was very rough and it was. Awesome. It's probably very healthy. I bet they were all really healthy though, because the other guy that I like is this carnivore MD, this Paul Saladino. He's all into like nose to tail okay. carnivore yeah. nutrition. And so he's literally, literally this week living with the Hamsa oh, yeah, 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 yeah. gatherer tribe in Africa. And, um, you know, so I'm sure that there's a lot of people like interested in like the Bedouin diet <laughs> of what they're doing. Well, so lot cool. of tea. And the so tea lot was the best. The tea was so sugar. good. A lot of sugar in the tea. And um, so that was, our kids loved that part of it. Can we have more Bedouin tea? And I was like, do you just, you know, yeah. they just loved that. No, I, I love the, I love the tea. I, my experience with the more the African tea is um, there's a huge Sudanese yeah. community in the city yeah. of Iowa City, and I've gotten to be really close to that community. And um, every time I go there, they give me this really good sugary tea, and I, it's just uh, it's, it's such a good mm -hmm. bonding experience. Um, but so here you guys are. You're out. Essentially, you you started in 2013, and now it's 2021. So. Do you have any, so, so eight years out, it sounds like it's pretty much everything you thought it would be. I guess what's your, what's your vantage point? It doesn't seem like you have any regrets um, over what you had done. Um, it seems like it panned out, like you, you're living this, what you, what you had thought it would be. I think our big issue, Rockney, is this exactly what you brought up earlier about your stoicism of just like, you know, thinking about your demise and thinking about your death and how we actually celebrate that. Like live your life without regret. Yeah. And I think for us being in Singapore, we both feel because it's so, so it's collectively perfect in that everybody's working towards a common good. There isn't bipartisanship. There isn't like everyone is working for the health of the whole, like the perfect ant colony. And I think for yeah. I can speak for myself is that this is a great place to be right now during a pandemic. However, we both yeah. are anxious to go back into the crazy, chaotic world that is imperfect. So exactly what we want to teach our yeah. kids, like design for green technology, design for efficiency, design for all these perfections. Why can't two par parties work together? Um, instead, we are kind of, we really want to go to someplace more unpredictable and chaotic because it's somewhat better for i think just our psyche and for maybe even yeah yeah so that's so there you go it's a great place to be for the next four to six years maybe but after that we're ready to go back out into the chaos so by chaos do you mean back <laughs> or back into another Another, uh, another yeah, another I would world. say where things I mean, everything is very organized and very controlled and very safe here. Um, which is at this time, I, I yeah. when we were choosing to come 
to Singapore from Bangladesh. We had, you know, a number of different things that we were weighing out. And Singapore by far was like um, not the choice that the Billingsleys would make necessarily traditionally, I guess, um, because it's just so, uh, like Kevin said, organized and and safe and um predictable yeah. and so we're a little more like hey let's go to bangladesh where's adam i was kind of like where's bangladesh you know and, so, <laughs> and um and so that kind of a, a mentality but then when covid hit and the anxiety set in and the fear set in and people losing their jobs and we'd already made the decision to come to singapore which was um you know out of character maybe for us a little bit i cannot tell you how relieved i was when we arrived here and to feel the clean air and people following and abiding, wearing masks and organization and control over the virus. And yeah. people were not living in, in fear. You know, like I just, I remember just feeling that sense of um, anxiety lifted from me when we, after a few weeks, after we got out of a two week quarantine. But um, so I'm, I can tell you right now, like being here for my mental health is the best. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, with, with Jason, I think what was amazing about it is that I think with Jason Zaborski, we're so ingrained, I think, in our culture that somehow if you follow your passion, if you follow your purpose, like it's somehow selfish. And I thought with like with Jason, I was like, gosh, Jason, you followed your heart, you listened to it, you're in alignment, and now you're up in the North Shore, in mm-hmm. Ely, Minnesota. And when he was talking about his plan and he was talking about capital improvement, improvement projects, I'm like, if you're doing capital improvement projects for your business, that's a very successful business. And he, and he's, and it's basically packed. And so he's bringing joy to other people. Um, He's, you know, literally in the fun business. And I think of like what you guys are doing, you guys are bringing your unique experience and joy to the people that you teach. And then if you ever do decide to come back to the United States, you're going to be, totally sought after because of all the variety of multicultural experiences. And of course your kids will like when, when they get into their employment. So it's like you actually were doing the completely practical thing. Like you, you, you were, you were practical. You weren't impractical. Like with your professional development, am I making sense? I trumpeted my interviewing skills. (laughs) We, 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 um, the thing is like for, for oftentimes humans, like we want to stand out. Like, I want to be known for something. Like, when I was a builder, I want to be the best builder. I want everybody to know my name. I think, you know, and that's really a difficult thing. Like, for as a teacher, we've been humbled. Like, every day, I'm going to be known because I've empowered someone to do something that they want, that they were afraid to do. And I think... But definitely speaking for myself, like every day I go in the classroom, it's no longer about me, 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 which is how I was in in, in the United States. And now I really feel yeah, that exactly. I go in there with a sense of humbleness, a sense of finality to my own life. And um, yeah, and so I really, really, I, the human benefit to what we're doing, <laughs> I think Stace and I both, like when we say where we wanna go next, we want to go to, to a third world country and we want to work with them, um, probably, you know, empowering other people. And, and, and I think that's, that's, that's our retirement. Like there is no retirement plan. Like our retirement plan is just to go until we're done. 
Yeah, no, I love that. And, and it's, and, and it's actually, and I think, don't you have the, the rest you're resting in peace knowing that you're going for it. Like you're actually doing, is there anything else you'd want to do? I mean, or is this sort of like, Hey, this is sort of what we want to do. I mean, sort of. Well, you know, I think about that a lot, Rocky. And I always joke with my students because I've been teaching drama for a long time and um, doing theater for a long time. And I was like, I always joke. I'm like, Oh, what's my next career? What am I going to do next? And you know, what's on the, after my kids graduate, what do I want to do? Do I want to stay in education? Do I want to go into nonprofit? Do I want to, you know, what do I want to do? Project rent, you know what? I just don't know what that is, but um, but I love the fact that I can I can fantasize about that. I can I have opportunities, you know, um, and having something that's been meaningful to me in the past, especially with the lockdown. I mean, I've been teaching for a long time. I started at you know teaching at a, a college in Washington, and um, then back at the University of Montana, and you know did uh, just a lot. So I have students that are like adults that are like not much younger than I am, you know, and have reached out. And that's been really lovely just to kind of catch up with them and see where they're at in their lives. And as Kevin was talking about making that impact in the classroom, I might not see it by something that I've built or, I, you know, physically, but I see it when I can have these conversations with these incredible human beings that I had the pleasure of being able to work with for a short amount of time at some point in my life. And I feel the same way with our my professors, you know, the professors at Luther and teachers that I've had. And so I think teaching is such an important um, field. And I'm so proud to be one um, that I know that whatever I do in my life, it'll always have some aspect of that. So I love it. And one thing I brought up with Jason that I want to bring up with you, Stacy and Kevin, the role of the liberal arts in terms of your professional development, like what, what role, because I think liberal arts is a little bit under attack. And I think that the irony is, is that people always say like, as they scrunch their nose, what are you going to do with a liberal arts degree? And the interesting thing is that everyone that I know of liberal arts, they're all doing something really interesting. And the irony is, is that with automation, um, if you get a quote unquote practical degree, you could probably be automated yeah. out of existence. And where the people that are creative, that know the humanities, that are intuitive, that know how to work with people, that know art and they can create, they're in demand because they have unique skills that, that connect with other people. Cause that's sort of all we have left. So Stacey, I don't know if you could quick comment on that. And then we'll, we'll finish up the interview with I think Rocky, I think you're spot on because um, the biggest thing I think, is the creative problem solving that we have to face on a daily basis, especially with the pandemic, is that people have really had to think differently. Um, and the liberal arts challenges and allow, allows you to do that and enforces you to have to be able to think in many different ways. Um, it also incurred, you know, you have to be flexible. Um, I think also for uh, people in the liberal arts, it gives you this ability to um, turn on a dime and be able to make something out of nothing and have a good attitude when you're working at it. So I think, um, and it builds community. A lot of the arts that we deal with, you know, you're looking at your surroundings and that involves people. So empathy is such a huge part of what I took away from the liberal arts, especially in the theater, but empathy. And that's what we need right now. I say to my kids every day when they leave my classroom, I'm like, remember to be kind. Remember, you know, that. The most important thing is show kindness. Um, and so I think that's a huge aspect for me in terms of why liberal arts educations are so important and it builds so many of those skills you can't in maybe traditional classroom settings. 
I love that. And, you know, I think that that's what, that's what the liberal arts is, is that, you know, Wes would always talk about emotion and the affective. Tim Peter would talk yeah. about singing from the gut, um, getting in alignment. And I think that's really what it does. And I think that's really where our power is. So I want to have a sort of a take home here. We'll finish up and wrap up the interview. For someone sort of sitting out in the in you know in their in their office space or in their in their home, what what, what sort of take home advice would you give to people in terms of people that are thinking of making that big step? Um, do you guys have any feedback having done it? I think quite successfully. I mean, here you are, eight years out, and you're not looking back. You're moving forward with it. Any take home advice for people in terms of people that are thinking about making big changes like you guys did in 2013? Oh my. Um, oh, the yeah. birds are going crazy. The right birds now. are going crazy. Um, they like that question. <laughs> yeah, we, um, for me, uh, you know, after losing a parent, like I just remember those last moments of my dad. And, um, and life is, life is so short. Whatever your belief in an afterlife is, while you're here, you got so much time. And so it's like, write your own eulogy. And what do you want them to say about you? Do you want them to say that, well, he was, he was a really hard worker? Or do you say that person lived out their dreams? They did these amazing things. They were a great parent, a great father, a great friend. Like, really live your life like you're writing your eulogy, not, not paying the bills or, or you know, living according to the conscribed plan. And so I just say, step out take chances, dream big and go big. Oh, wow. And the fact that you guys have actually done it, because I think so people are, they're ingrained for disappointment. And I think that like the reality is, is I think people don't really consider that. So, wow, guys, thank you so much. I so appreciate you taking the time to, um, you know, participate in the interview. I am going to send you guys a book. So after we're done with the interview, you got to text me your address because I'm going to send you guys a book. So, um, it's going to be, well, I'll tell you what it is, actually. I'm going to send you meditations by Marcus Aurelius because Kevin, what you said was very, it was very stoic because the Stoics were all about living out the script that fate has <laughs> destined for you. And so I feel like both you guys are doing that because you don't know when fate will strike. And so because you don't know, you only focus on your control of what you can actually do. And that's to live out the script of the creator. I would love for you to come visit because my exactly with the, what you, what you're saying is what my what um, we work on every day in my classroom. Whether it's interviewing for a quotable moment or um, and also just really being in touch with 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 fate for certain, and that we control only what you control and let go of everything else. That's straight out of the Enchiridion with Epictetus. He's the great Stoic. <laughs> so, you guys are you guys are awesome. Oh, I do got one. You got. I've been bugging Stacey. You guys got to write a book. Like your story is so interesting. My favorite, my favorite yeah. author is Malcolm Gladwell. And the, and the question they always say is, "Well, how do you get all these interesting stories?" He said, 
People don't realize yeah, how no. interesting they are. It's we have so many of those fun stories, Rockney, well, from all of our you. travels and just meeting different people that have wound up coming back into our lives in a different country in some way, shape, or form. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it's other stories. Other people's stories are what make ours interesting, yeah. and not I just, ours. Yeah, I know you're wrapping it up, but I just wanted to say that's the biggest thing for me, too, is during the past eight years, um, talk about friends the new fr the friends we've made over the past eight years have been their lifelong and the friends that we have in missoula or back in the states they're lifelong as well and it's just you know we're not there on a daily basis but they're still very much a part of who we are today and so that's that's not gone you know it just keeps building accumulating oh, fabulous thing right on good stuff good stuff well you know what the Coles are going to get to Singapore, and maybe maybe the next time we'll do a live. <laughs> yeah, or another country. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right, guys. Okay, well, thank you Thanks, so Rocky. much, and I'm going to send you those books, and we're going to be posting the uh, right on Rocky. Bye. Bye. Sounds good. Bye, bye. All right. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. If you enjoyed that interview as much as I did, again, check out my website at rockneycole.com. We're going to have a couple links to a couple of the books that we mentioned, and I hope you had, uh, learned a lot from Kevin and Stacy. Really, in dynamic personalities that you know took a chance and it's totally paid dividends for them, just like Jason Zaborski. The next episode, we're also going to continue on this this uh, path of big midlife transitions that people make, and I'm going to interview Corey Grimm, uh, who spent a year in Haiti, and we're going to discuss the sights, the sounds, the feel, the taste of Haiti. I think one of the most impressive. Uh, countries in the Western Hemisphere. I think you really enjoy it. We talk a lot about faith. We talk about politics. We talk about religion, all different sorts of topics. And we're also going to feature some of Corey's latest work. I think he, Corey is one of the uh, top singer-songwriters in the state of Iowa, really an un, undiscovered talent. Uh, so we cover a lot of different territories. I think you're really going to enjoy this next episode of the Rockney Cast. Well, thanks for tuning into the Rockney Cast. Until next time on the Rockney Cast. <laughs>